Ooh, there's a lot of wind today. The winds have changed, maybe. <laughs> the weather is just as unpredictable, 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 <laughs> unpredictable as the world right now, as life in general. And you know what? That's a ugh, rain. I feel some drops of rain. That is not good because I don't have an umbrella with me. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I've got some horses there in the fields and some cows on the right. Well, they don't have umbrellas and they seem to thrive. So, <laughs> but change is, uh, change is good. Change is challenging. Changes make life interesting. Um, and I wanted to uh, continue the conversation that I had last week um, about discernment and where to go and the future. <laughs> I've forgotten everything that I said, but I know one thing, and that was it, it's, if you want to know where to go, you need to make it a, a communal process. You need to find people that can help you with it that the best thing you can do in life is ask for help because it will only make you stronger and richer. And it's the opposite of what we've often believed, that asking for help is a sign of weakness, is a sign of immaturity and uh, a proof that you're no good. And (laughs) how often have you been on the road trying to find your destination and for some reason, maybe you didn't have your phone with you, or I don't know, maybe in the past you were just using paper maps and you couldn't figure out where you were, but you refused to ask anyone where to go. It's like, I want to figure it out for myself. I'm not going to bother other people with the fact that I'm lost. How stupid is that? I remember... <laughs> In, uh, I think it was in the year 2000. I was just a young priest back then. And um, I went to Rome with uh, a colleague of mine, a priest, a much older priest. And he was a bit whiny. Let's put it that way. He was like always complaining about everything. Like, oh, it's raining today. Oh, it's, the sun is shining. It's too warm. Huh. It's like nothing is ever good. He had one redeeming quality, though. He had no shame. (laughs) Literally, whenever we were, like, we were in Rome, and we needed to find a church or whatever, a museum. And I was constantly like, oh, but but I have this tourist guide, and I'll look it up, and then we'd get lost, because Rome is an old city with lots of turns and... And especially back then, I didn't have, I didn't live in Rome. So I had no idea where we were going. And he would constantly bother anyone he could find to just tell him where to go. And like, excuse me, sir, we're looking for this museum and it's starting to rain and we can't find it. But where is this museum? And he would just go to anyone, even if they didn't speak English. Japanese tourists and he was he would just complain in English that he couldn't find a museum and if they knew where, where, where it was but after a while even if he didn't get the answer right away these Japanese people just looked at him and was like what? <laughs> um, it, eventually he would always find someone who will who would tell him where to go and um, 
I remember being almost embarrassed to walk beside him. I was like, don't bother these people. We need to figure this out ourselves. And he was like, no. Why? These people live here. They know where to go. They know all these museums. They know it better than you. It will take us less time. <laughs> That's kind of how we talked. <laughs> and I've often thought back of that attitude. It's like, wow, he really has no shame. And that's actually a good thing. I wish I could be like more like that and ask for help without, you know, being embarrassed to ask for it. And this brings me to the topic of today's walk. And that is self-limiting behavior. Now, this is a very common theme and you may have heard uh, many people talk about this. Um, it's also extremely um, run-of-the-mill topic for, for any self-help book. But it is, again, why is it so omnipresent in, uh, in the world of coaching and, and, and self-help uh, and whatnot? It's because it's so present in everyone's life. And we all suffer from it, in more or less. Um... And so I, I still dare to address it because, well, I definitely needed some help to recognize these self-limiting thoughts and this self-limiting behavior. Let me turn to the left here. Ooh, it's starting to rain. This is the school street. I, I presume that there has been a school here, or maybe still is. Right now there's only a horse stable here on the right. But maybe a good walk here to learn something about self-limiting behavior. Because I, um, I did not realize how deep the rabbit hole goes when it comes to self-limiting behavior and self-limiting thoughts. Uh, this is something that I've been struggling with, I should say, or being, been bothered with for a large chunk of my life. Um, maybe this goes back to, you know, my, my early childhood memories where uh, there was this strong push to... to it was very contradictory, I think, in, in the way I was raised. On the one hand... You had to use your talents. My mom was very uh, inspired by the gospel of uh, the, the talents that you shouldn't bury, etc. And so she was always pushing us to make the most of our talents. And she wouldn't hesitate to also boast about our talents. You know, every parent does that. Well, not every parent, let's be honest, but a lot of parents do that. My child, my daughter is so talented. My boy is so good at piano. And then, if you were unlucky, you'd be uh, charged to display your talent. So, do that dance that you did the other day. Mom, I'm not going to dance in front of these strangers. It's your aunt. But still, I was just dancing because I was happy. I was was not a demonstration of what I would like to repeat. I'm I'm kind of embarrassed about it myself. but just do it. And, uh, uh, but then, so it was this kind of like show off your talents, but then you could never really boast about it yourself. 
because that was being prideful you know it's like uh you always had to be very humble about your um your talents my mom hated people who would uh constantly talk about about themselves and uh uh try to show off um, and maybe it was her own chinese background or maybe her religion's uh, religious upbringing but we were always taught to be very modest and uh, never uh never think that you're better than anyone else uh that became almost second nature and in class i was the typical nerd very much the cliche almost like not very good at sports uh i loved reading all my hobbies were kind of nowadays it's mainstream but back then it certainly wasn't i was interested in astronomy and space shuttles and science fiction uh whereas most of the kids in school had totally different areas of interest it was uh, partying and music and girls and i was like i uh, really don't want to waste my time on that when i can talk about star wars so um this but because i was always uh in this mode of well okay i will just try to be good at things that i can do well i was very good at at making cartoons and writing stories and processing information i would read hundreds of books in a year i loved reading um but i kept it to myself i didn't want to or i didn't dare to uh to show too much what i was good at because i knew that there were so many things were, that were important to my environment important to my classmates important even to the the teachers that i did not excel at like like handwriting i was so my handwriting still uh, until this day is terrible oh my goodness <laughs> it's now starting to pour down from the sky uh maybe i'm going to seek some shelter at this farm here there's also blue skies and this can only be temporary i'm just going to stand under this roof okay let me just wait until this uh, this cloud this dark gray cloud passes by um so the uh uh the reason that i didn't want to or d- didn't dare to talk about the things that i was passionate about that i was good at was that i was afraid that it would boomerang and people would tell me what i was not good at so my handwriting was terrible and i just couldn't i couldn't decipher my own handwriting um at one point i try even try to emulate the handwriting of a, a good friend of mine i was like if only i can write like that then uh then i'm going to be acceptable enough it was all about you know trying to be good enough for others not for me not for god i wasn't even thinking in those terms um but in in many areas i just couldn't be good or felt i couldn't be good like sports i did not even like the kind of sports that most of my classmates 
were involved in. I hated soccer. I thought it was the most boring thing ever. Still think it is, actually. <laughs> I did not like team sports in general because I was a bit of an introvert. And maybe I was an introvert because I was also afraid of other people's judgment and, and not being good enough. So anyway, I built my own little world around me. And... Uh, like, for instance, I, I, I was involved in one sports game. My mom, again, uh, my mom was very influential in my youth. Much more, my, my dad would be working all the time and we'd see. My, my dad is more important, has been very important intellectually because of the conversations that we had over dinner. But when it comes to learning to live, <laughs> that was more my mom's influence. Uh, she f thought it was important that I would be at least involved in one type of sports. So I ended up um, signing up for gymnastics classes. You know, not general gymnastics, but, but all the, you know, the rings and the jumping over stuff. And I don't even remember what it was all about. But that was actually a very... was considered, again, it was the, the opinion of the people around me, of the kids around me, that was a sports for girls. And it was true that there were only a few guys in my, in my gymnastics class. And I tried to keep it a secret because I... God forbid that someone would discover that I was not into soccer. And even gymnastics, I was not very good at it. I was not very flexible. I, um, I often was afraid of the things that they made us do. I was afraid to fall. I was afraid to trip. Um, sometimes you had to go on this trampoline, right? And then make a salto or something like that and, and, and land on your feet. I, I was terrified. I've never been able to master that. I would always run towards the trampoline and stop at the very last second. And the teacher would say, Come on, you can do it. Why don't you do it? Don't be afraid. And I was like, Ugh. The more you yell at me, the more insecure I become. And so, um, at one point, I even completely abandoned gymnastics class. And it was, I was so uncertain at the, in these days. And one day, I, I arrive, um, and this was a weekly thing. And they had put in place my favorite el uh, element. It was the big trampoline, not the small ones that you jump on just to do dangerous things afterwards, but just this huge trampoline and you're in the middle and you just jump up and down. I love that. It's so risk-free, you know, and it's like very empowering because with a little bit of, of jumping up and down, you can almost feel like you're flying like Superman. I was very much into, into Superman, the movie back then. So it was the closest I could get to flying. And so I saw these big trampolines and I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Because they would never mount them. They were kind of a hassle to set up. And mostly this was for the older classes, not for small kids like me. And so when I saw that we were going to actually jump on the trampolines, I was elated until I saw this new teacher nobody told me about that was not my regular teacher where was my regular teacher the one that I trusted and this this new guy 
I don't know who he is and what he... He doesn't know me. He doesn't know that I'm afraid. I'm, and I ran. I went, I went back home. I probably even lied about it. I may, may have dwelled for an hour in the, in the yard of the, of the building just to... So I could say back home that I'd been to gymnastics. And I never wanted to go back anymore. I was just paralyzed by the fear of this unknown teacher and like this this disruption almost of my of what I felt safe at is it felt a bit like I was abandoned all of a sudden in a very dangerous environment because I felt that the gymnastics was always every time I had to do something in front of other people um that was a huge risk because I was always afraid to fail. And the more people taught me to let go and just go for it, the less I wanted to do it. I was overthinking it. I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can never do that. I can never get used to this new teacher. I don't want to be here. I'd have, this is too risky. I just want to go back home and read a book or, or draw comics. I still feel, now that I'm narrating this, I feel exactly what I felt back then. This paralyzing fear. And it's just an example of, I think, think something that has been impacting my choices in life for most of my adult life as well. And it's so not what I truly am. <laughs> but it took me years to discover how much I'd been limiting myself that way. This vicious circle of thinking that I had to be what other people wanted me to be what my mom wanted me to be what the teachers in school wanted me to be, what my classmates even though gradually I would care less and less what my classmates would think of me because I had already been labeled as a nerd But so that became my bubble, that became you know, that I'm just this, I am this nerd I am not socially apt I will never be good at sports. If you told me back then that one day I would have, I don't know, 10 marathons under my belt, I would have thought you would mistaken talk, talking about someone else. Um, that I would be involved in, that I would be on TV, that I would be a YouTuber. Okay, back then, of course, we didn't even know what the internet was, but... I never thought that my life would be anything but that little bubble that I'd created for myself. I think even, even girlfriends were kind of not even in the picture because I felt like I'm never going to have a girlfriend anyway. You know, that's just not, I'm, I'm too much of a loser. So I didn't even invest much time. I had a few friends and had a few um, girls that I would would play with and then just, just you know they were just friendships most of the time these, these were girls that were also loved to do creative stuff and baking cookies and 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 drawing and that sort of stuff but i never really wanted to invest much in those friendships because i i almost knew that uh, it would end up in rejection and i I, w I felt miserable enough as it was. So 
I'm painting a very bleak picture of my youth. And, of course, it's only it's this perception of my youth, right? It's thinking back. And when you do that, you, you, you can never be totally factual about your own youth, about your own story. Even if you would describe your day to me, you would only pick certain things based on, on your value system, on what helps you right now or what you think will help you to, to, uh, right now. But it's very hard to look at your own past and, and have an unfiltered, unbiased representation. But for the sake of this story, I wanted to focus on, these, on this fear because that was real. And this almost built-in uh, mechanism of as soon as I felt that I could do something, just like jumping over that trampoline or on that trampoline and then jump over whatever obstacle they put in my path, I would just stop right before and thinking, I can't do this. What are people going to think if I fall? What are they going to say? I'm going to feel miserable when they say that I'm a loser and, and whatnot. So it was all... These are very understandable mechanisms. It's trying to protect yourself in the only way you think you can protect yourself, and that is by making yourself invisible. Uh, not setting any goals or challenges, because what, what happens if I fail? And that, So that is... The, this self-limiting behavior runs very, very deep. And maybe you'll recognize some of these things in your own history, which may be very different from me, or your childhood may be very different from what I've experienced. But these self-limiting behaviors, imposter syndrome, that's one of these um, consequences of this, of this view on yourself. So this guy is mowing the the, what is it the hedge around his house it's a bit noisy um, so uh, the, the, the imposter syndrome is when you feel like you don't deserve to do what you do you, you're, you're, you're not real you're just faking it people, people attribute way too much value to what you do what you mean to them and if, they, if only they knew how, how weak you are and how miserable you are and how, how little you know, you know, they would, they would think very differently of you. Um, this imposter syndrome typically pops up whenever you do something that challenges yourself. Like when people see value in you that you don't allow yourself to see in yourself. That is when you feel like an imposter. But the problem is not that people overrate you, attribute too much value to you. It's just that you don't attribute any value to who you are and what you do. There's one thing that I've learned over the years um, about public speaking. Uh, it's hard to imagine that there has been a time in my life that I didn't dare to speak in public at all. Uh, especially in school. Um, and uh, because, well, I just didn't like to be in front of a crowd because a crowd means a ton of people that think 
about you in a certain way or might judge you and I was already insecure as it was but um, I've had this idea and when I first started to be invited so this was in way back when podcasting was a new thing or even before that when I was building websites sometimes I would get invited um, to speak about my experiences and what I'd learned and at first I was like so surprised that people would invite me to speak like what do I know I'm I'm not an expert in this I just I just mess around it's, it's, I'm an amateur I, I and then if I would do the, these talks I would always start with a, like a myriad of reasons why I shouldn't be there and uh, I'm just figuring it out as I go and and I, I would feel this like who am I to speak here? And then at one point I was invited to speak at a, a very big business uh, congress. It was so funny. If I look back on it now, it's like, ah, oh, wow. Um, it was uh, this, this huge communications uh, company in the Netherlands. They run everything. And they had this, um, this meeting with uh, their, their top managers and everything. And so it was this team-building experience, and they would go to a, a, what was it, like a hotel, but the, also where you could uh, ride in Jeeps, and it was all it was like focused on these big business meetings where, you know, like, like uh, one of these high-profile uh, mastermind classes where you go paragliding etc and then you learn stuff and then you pay thousands and thousands of euros or dollars um so i had never been in a in a in a, a group like that and i was so surprised out of the blue i get this invitation we would like you to come and speak about how the church is renewing itself by using new media and i think this was even before podcasting before i went to rome as building websites at the time Please come and give us a talk. I think that people will love it. You're a priest. They don't expect that. And uh, they have this idea that the Catholic Church, there's nothing more backwards than that. So it's going to be fun to have a priest who shows that it's the total opposite, or at least that you can, even though you're a member of the church, you can be very up-to-date and do all these cool entrepreneurial things that are even in our, in our own company are still being regarded as you know that's for the new people that's that, that's that's not our business and we believe that internet is the future and you are such a great example it's like wait 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 are you talking about me <laughs> so i go to that day i'm so nervous i prepared a, a powerpoint it didn't even exist i think at the time it just made some slides and 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 just talked about my experiences trying to tell stories and but I remember that there were a few other um, well like these gurus that were also invited to speak at the same conference the same audience and I didn't even dare to approach them because like these these, you know super duper managers and motivational speakers I'm just this what is it like 29 year old priest and I have no experience and I'm a total imposter. If, if only they knew 
that I, I really have nothing to do here. I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy to speak to these high-profile managers and stuff. So after I did my talk, or I did actually a few workshops, and there's time for lunch. And so I, these other guys, the other speakers, are inviting me over to their table because, well, I'm also one of the keynote speakers. And I'm like, I thought I could just sit in a corner here, eat my sandwich, and then just go to the toilet and stay there for an hour. <laughs> it's like, no, come on, Father Roderick. That was great. It's cool. We heard a lot of good feedback on, on your talk and tell me about what you're doing. And then they started to talk about their talks. And, and so uh, this one guy, he asked me, so what are they paying you? I was like, um, what do you mean? Well, I, I suppose they're paying you. Um, I was like, well, yeah. Uh, they, well, of course, I hope they will pay my travel expenses. And um, they actually asked me the question uh, what my rates were, and I didn't know what to say. Uh, because, well, I have no experience. This is my first talk, and so I didn't, I didn't answer them. I said I'd get back to them. <laughs> and, and he said, well, did you, did you get back to them? And, and I said, well, uh, yeah, I gave it a long thought and I um, I tried to think about what would I make if I were having a job and so I took that rate for a day and so I I think I I proposed 500 bucks and he is like sitting back I'll never forget what he said he's like dude 500 bucks to talk to this crowd that's what they pay me if I go to the loo here he said, you're crazy. You should have asked at least a thousand, two thousand. They're paying me six thousand, he said. I was like, what? I actually saw his talk and it was had no slides. It was just this. He was speaking off the cuff. I, I actually thought that my talk was more entertaining than what he did. I was like, dude, you get six thousand? And he said, he said something to me then. Because, of course, I, I was like, well, well, but I'm new to this. I don't know if I have any value for these people. I, I just didn't feel comfortable asking for a lot of money. I was already honored that they invited me. And he said to me, Father Roderick, there's one thing you should remember about speaking in public. When you speak about things you do in, 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 with your experience, you are the expert you know so much more about the internet, about maybe not about the technicalities, like these managers who are all in the communications business, but from a technical point of view, they know how to connect wires. You are talking about what you can do with this technology. You have a unique experience. You build up something in your church where no one wants to hear about the internet. And it was true at the time. That conversations with the staff of the diocese and they told me there was literally this one woman who said this whole internet stuff we don't want you to spend so much time on it it's a fad it will go away I literally they were literally telling me that and of course I was not I didn't I didn't agree with that at all but he said you have a pioneer position here and what you do is 
your experience, you are, but with trial and error, you're figuring this out and you have answers that they don't have. You are much more of an expert than, the, than this audience here and you need to believe that. And that is why you should value what you bring in here. Even though you think that you're not at their level, well, you're, you may not be um, a, a technician, you may not be a manager, you may not make what these guys are making. <laughs> what they make in one month is probably your yearly salary. Um, but you are the value here. And you are the expert. And you always know more than you think. And you definitely know more than your audience, especially if you talk about your personal experiences. Because nothing is more valuable than what you experience, what you learn. That is what you need to pass on. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And then I immediately forgot about that again. I went back into this, you know, self-denigrating, like, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Apply to everything. Long story short, just recently, I was having another talk with Cliff, Cliff Ravenscraft, for those of you that haven't listened to previous episodes. He's a good friend of mine, uh, personal coach, uh, really, uh, we, we've known each other from the dawn of podcasting. Um, and so he's helping me to kind of break through a lot of these patterns that are hampering me. And the thing is, it's like a doctor. You sometimes a doctor sees the symptoms and knows what, what you what needs to happen before you realize. Um, so anyway, he told me uh, several times that I was not. Like, to give you an example, we were talking about new projects for the future. I was all in this part of this whole process of discernment, so where do I take what I do? My, not just what I do, but who do I want to be for the people that I've been sent to? And what can be the next step, the next level? So I was thinking a lot about um, doing something to involve people in a journey uh, and to actually help them discover things that I've discovered myself. In a way, that's what I'm doing when I'm recording the walk. I'm sharing um, most of the time experiences and they're flawed certainly and I never have like uh, when I start this recording, I've got these four points and five things to remember and you know, this one golden rule, none of that. I just share it as it is. <laughs> I try to describe as, as well as I can the process that I'm in without necessarily already having all the answers and having this perfect distilled lesson to learn. However, the things that I've discovered and shared with you over the years... Um, there are so many people who never listen to the walk or may have forgotten about things. There is a lot of, of experience and a lot of lessons that I've learned that are worth sharing and could help other people. Um, and it's, the, the walk is just one outlet for that. There are so many other things that I can do 
to involve people in this process of growth, discovery, and discernment. So I was thinking out loud about ways in which I could um, develop new activities, productions, whatever, to, uh, to do just that. And then I, I, I said, well, I'm just not... I don't think I'm a good seller. Uh, because that if I would, let's say if I would uh, do like a seminar... Uh, for instance, let me... I know that there are many people, also in my own audience, that would love to learn uh, in a, a more structured way how to produce television shows, how to make vlogs, etc. Maybe even how to podcast. I know a ton of things about these, about these, these productions and about this type of media. I have a wealth of experience to share. Very personal experience with tons of anecdotes, with lots of trial and a lot of error <laughs> but I just don't feel comfortable selling that in a, in selling it in a uh, very limited way like uh, turning that into a I don't know like a three day five day experience or, or a course and then setting up a sales page and then actually asking people to pay for that and like imposter syndrome appeared right away like well, I'm not that good. <laughs> and there are so, so many other people that can teach much better than I do. I have no experience with this. I, eh, I, I, and I don't think I can do that. I don't know how to write copy for, you know, these websites that... <laughs> it's like my own book. I've written a book. It's, it's like mine. <laughs> Geek Priest... I think more than half of my audience that currently are following me on YouTube and on in podcasts. Good morning, little doggy. They have never heard of that book. And the only reason that I haven't put it up on as a digital download on, on Amazon is that I, I feel like I'm, I can't sell anything. I, I'm not good at this stuff. It's a hassle. And, <laughs> and, um, and then also, I was like, well, but... I don't think I'm a good coach. I'm, I don't think I'm a good teacher. And I'm supposed to be a priest, so I should give this away for free and just do this. Isn't this my... I'm, I feel embarrassed even thinking about setting up a course and, and selling it. <laughs> and then uh, Cliff reacts like, but you're lying. <laughs> He's interrupting my pattern. Like, the, I wasn't even talking to Cliff. I was talking to myself. It was this... This uh, self-limiting belief. I wasn't good enough. I was an imposter. I'm, I'm, as a priest, I'm not supposed to make any money. <laughs> I'm not supposed to pay my bills, apparently. But it's, it's a ridiculous. Of course, I, I do sell stuff. I sell my TV shows and, and whatnot. Um, but he is... So he's interrupting the, my, this pattern of thought by saying, You're lying. You're a priest. You're not supposed to lie. So, I'm going to tell you those two lies that you just told me. First of all, you lied about not being a good salesman. You are great at selling stuff. Remember the times at SQPN where you were doing a, a fund drive and you had to gather $100,000 to keep operations going? Remember that you actually pulled that off more than once? I was like, 
Um, yeah, I remember that. It was gruesome. And we, I think, didn't even know what we were doing, but we did pull it off. So he said, you're good at that. You're selling your TV show. You're probably not asking enough for it, but you do know how to generate an income from that. So don't tell me that you're not good at selling. You're excellent at selling. It brought you here. And then the second thing is, then the other lie, I think it was this, but maybe it was something else. I don't remember exactly, but um, you said that you, you're not a good coach. You're not, you're an imposter. Well, maybe um, I was thinking I'm an imposter. I can't do that. I'm not a coach like Cliff is. I don't know what I'm doing. So that's not true. That's a lie. You've been coaching people for years with the break, uh, with, with the, the walk, with everything you do, but, but preaching in church. You're constantly coaching people. And not only that, not only do you have a wealth of experience in coaching people, you also get a lot of feedback that coaching actually was very effective. And it, it, it did actually really interrupt my pattern at that time. During the conversation, I was like, dude, you're right. I am good at selling. I am good at coaching. Can I be better? Oh, hell yeah. Do I want to learn how to become a better seller and, and a better coach? Hell yeah. Why? And that's, that's where it got very interesting and also very um, challenging in a certain way. Cliff says, I want you to stop doing something that, you, that I hear you do time and again. When you talk about your Patreon site, you always pitch it in the sense that you ask your listeners to um, pay a small fee and uh, to help you to continue to do this work. What is wrong about that proposition? Um, I just didn't have an answer. I was like, um, I don't know, maybe. And he said, you, it's, it's the opposite of, of what you are actually doing. This is not about you making a buck of, of producing stuff and then asking people to, to finance your, your work, the things that you want to do. It should all be about what you try to help people with. And that is valuable. That is worth something. So you should always focus on what you do for others. That is what, why you do this. You want to help. You want to coach. You want to better people's life. So that is your proposition. Not, please, 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 prevent me from, you know, getting a call from my diocese that uh, they will... Uh, take you off uh, of this media apostolate because you don't pay the bills that's all about you but what you do is not about you it's all about you you dedicate yourself to your audience you want to reach and help even more people and it's actually not about income and it's literally not about income because as a priest I have a fixed income And it's the same as any other priest, no matter the age, no matter the type of work, whether he has one parish or ten, whether he's a bishop or not, we all have a fixed income, which is very limited. 
Um, it's enough to, to provide, but it's certainly not considered to be, you know, a high income in any, you know, part of society. And nor should it be, because that's not why we became priests. We want to be priests because we want to help people. So, if whether I can barely pay the bills or have a lot of financial reserve, it doesn't make a difference for my day-to-day life. However, it does make a difference when it comes to what I can do for other people. How many people I can reach and help. That is definitely uh, dependent on the funding that you get, the financial abilities. When I can buy myself, uh, for instance, the roadcaster, that's a very expensive piece of equipment. It's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But because I was able to buy the, the roadcaster, thanks to the contribution of the patrons, it made my life as a podcaster so much easier. And not just podcaster, I use it all the time for my voiceovers, for television work, for my YouTube videos. I, like, and I, it's such a great device. So it helps me to help others. I don't have to focus on technology. I can just do, start a Skype call and it does all the mix-minus stuff automatically. It makes life so easy and so it helps me to be at my best for my audiences. So it's just an example of how the funding is what, what, what you sell is not your work. What you sell is it contributing something of value to other people's life. That is what it's about. So the monetary aspect of that is just a, almost a side effect. It's important, but it's not the core of what selling is. Selling is bringing value to people's life. What makes someone a good seller is not how smooth he can talk or how great he can uh, write copy for websites or you know, create click-through funnels or whatever it's called. But it is someone who really adds value to other people's lives so much that they want to help that person in doing that and doing it for other people as well. That was, I have to be honest, that was a pretty big mind-bender. It was like, I've never looked at like the business aspect of what I do in such a way. Actually, I almost felt embarrassed to even let the business aspect of things play a role, which was illustrated by my second (laughs) objection. is like, well, I I don't think as a priest I should ask money for what I do. (laughs) Again, it's such a limited way of looking at at the world and at, at what I do. It's not about that. It's about here... So what you need to communicate is not here, I have a product which I think you'll like. What you sell is your enthusiasm about common values. Here's what I've discovered. Here's what makes me so enthusiastic. And I want you to share in that enthusiasm. If I apply that to the church, which is kind of my area of work, But it's very similar. This is not just true for me, but it's also true for, for instance, a parish. What are you truly selling? 
Do you really believe that what you have to offer to the world is extremely valuable, life-changing, world-changing? If you truly believe that, how can you have an attitude of defeat? And, oh, as long as we can make ends meet. Well, if we close another church, we can, we, we can stay alive. We can stay afloat for another two years. Someone who is convinced of the value that they can add to other people's lives will never talk like that. And so, the things that are holding me back, these self-limiting beliefs, are also, I think, playing a major role in the current crisis in in the Catholic Church. And it all has to ultimately do with faith. Do you truly believe that your life has been changed And do you believe that if God can change you, that he can also change the world? He also wants to reach other people to do the same as what he did to you. Make your life better, make you happier, make you more the person that he wants you and desires you to be. If you don't believe that about yourself, that is where you have to work first. Get rid of those self-limiting beliefs. Don't be content with a half-full church. That, that, you know, glass half-full, half-empty metaphor is disastrous for the church. Because it, 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 it makes us way too comfortable. We do as if, well, you know what, it's okay, it's only half-full, because, ah, well, at least it's half-full. <laughs> No, that can never be your end point. It's like, why? What is not happening in my life that is attractive enough for other people to also covet? And I'm not talking about, uh, uh, you know, this, this certain trend in, in, in Christian circles where it's all about prosperity and God is on your side, you'll make a ton of money. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It is about change. Does God really impact your life in such a way that it's almost like, like what St. Paul says? I can't stop myself from talking about this. I can't stop myself from sharing. I want the world to know this. Do we really have that drive? And if we don't have that drive, don't blame yourself, but ask yourself, why don't you have that drive? Ask God to give you that drive, to make you experience these changes, So you cannot stop yourself from selling it. There's a lot more I'd like to say about this, but I think it's it's enough for now. (laughs) Gotta wrap things up. But I hope this was useful and makes you think. Try to... I never give you homework, but if I would give you homework, I would ask you, why don't you sit down write on a piece of paper uh, these self-limited thoughts these self uh, uh, hampering thoughts about who you are and what you can offer to the world what are these negative judgments that you have of, uh, uh, of yourself and then go back through that list and 
mark all the the self-limiting doubts that are actually from other people. It's what your mom used to say. It's what your dad used to to call you. It's what your classmates or your boss said about you. And then take another piece of paper and write down what you excel at. What is unique. What you can offer. What you are already giving. Include the mundane stuff. If you have a family... Being a parent is the coolest thing that you get that has ever been given to you. To be able to pass on your life experiences, your values, your what makes you happy to a new generation. Stuff like that. Write it down. I'm pretty sure that you'll discover that the list of talents and things that you can offer and that you're proud of for a reason is much longer than those self-limiting doubts about yourself or imposter syndrome problems so work on that (laughs) and let me know how that works out for you I love the feedback and uh, again another invitation if you're on uh, the discord server as a patron uh, join me for this discernment process of how can we well for instance what I said about this course um, can I what what could help other people to to get access to all these lessons learned that I've shared with you over the years in this podcast of the walk how could I bring that to an audience that has no access to this uh, can't find the podcast doesn't even listen to podcasts Are there, are there ways in which I could put that together? And Because I, I, the more and more I feel like if I'm, the big question, who am I and what, is, what am I supposed to do as a priest? It's all about helping people and guide them, not based on principles that I don't apply to my own life. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about sharing how I discovered what God did in me and what I've, what I've discerned and what I've learned and pass that on because I know that it's so valuable to me. So it must be of value to others. All right, enough. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And I will see you next time on The Walk.